Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DOC, the DDD motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Z-Man. What up, yo? This is E-Shot. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This your boy, DJ Paul KOL from 36 Young Busy Bone. Vice World. This your man, Mastermind, the hell raise up. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you're listening to me on the Murder Master Music Show. been fine, man. Just uh, dealing with this roller coaster ride called life. Oh yeah, yeah, man. That's uh, one I feel you, yeah, brother. I'm right there with you. <laughs> this COVID yeah. shit, it uh, really um, fucks things up for the entertainer. It's also well, not to mention killed so many people. Um, you being a person, you know, what I'm saying you depend on getting out there and doing shows and things of that nature. Uh, what have you done to um, compensate for that? You know what I'm saying? Have you done any, like, live stream events or other ways to kind of connect with the fans? Yeah, well, I always say, you know, current whenever I can, but, you know, sometimes it's good to disappear, you know, and, and get to it. So I've been in the back cave for like a year and a half, man, straight, putting all these projects together. Um I have a personal album coming out called Gimme Five on the Black Hand Side. And that's very musical composition right there. Also, I was able to put uh, three projects together, doing a duet album. 
with this cat named OG Spanky Loco. He a, he a big cat in the tattoo world and the rap game down in, you know, the L.A. parts. And we got an album out coming out August. It's, um, it's called OG Funk. And then me and Sugar Free, you know, after 21 years in the making, we finally finna put uh, this uh, Sugar Cane album out and bless the streets with it. And, wow. um, you know, work, working on my daughter's stuff. And just been dropping singles. I actually dropped, uh, this will be my fourth single, the Hush single, because the first single I dropped was a cut called Monkey Wasn't Funky which is available at www.buddyboymusic.com. The link is in my IG bio. And uh, another cut produced by Chill uh, from Compton's Most Wanted, that's called Don't Make Me Shit. And me and Hutch recently, you know, released this um, project. So me and Hutch is getting ready for 2022 for the Architects of G-Funk album. But we kind of gave him a glimpse. We dropped a video called Hard in the Paint which is myself and featuring Big Cuzzo, Code 187. And it's, it's giving you that a real original Black Mafia, Uncle Sam's Curse type of sound again. So oh, yeah. go check that out on YouTube, run them numbers up. And last but not least, the fourth single is called Hush, man. Now, this is one to check off the bucket list. You know, I, I've been blessed enough to do songs with George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, Parliament Funkadelic, Bernie Burrell, you know, Larry Blackman for Cameo. But when it came to hip-hop, you know, I always, you know, admired um, some of the, you know, a lot of the East Coast acts back in the 80s and 70s. And one in particular was a group called Fat Boys. Man, I I, I was digging the Fat Boys just as much as I was digging Run DMC. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. And Can you feel it? Years later... Oh my God! They, they actually are the ones, you know. Besides Run DMC, to really further hip hop, you know what I'm saying, and make it more of a worldwide appeal. And them cats did songs with Beach Boys, Chubby Checkers. I mean, that's some other shit. You know what I mean? So, how I met Cool Rock Ski, you know, I linked in with with Curtis Blow because Curtis Blow is actually on my new personal album called Give Me Five on the Black Hand Side, that whole project has that 70s nostalgia. You know what I mean? And 80s. And uh, we linked in on the Internet. I shot a kite, a message to um, to uh, Brother Kurokski, and I said, man, you just don't know, man. Like, we on the West Coast, but we was really riding to your music and just, you know, I'm real grateful and honored. But the trip is, you never know who's watching your career. And he said, yeah. man, you the cocaine that's on most featured artists on all these hooks and start naming out bullet points of my career. And it was just so honorable, man, to be able to look up the cats that years later, you know, the cats like Cool Rock Ski really digging your flavor or George Clinton or et cetera. And we put this song together. It was produced again by Chill, because Chill got some slappers from CMW, and a cat by the name of Rob T, who do a lot of the mixing and master for Warren G, myself, Trey D, et cetera. And we put it together, and I shot it to him. I shot the first two verses, and I was like, I want to do something simple on the hook. So it's kind of like a nursery rhyme, you know what I mean, to where people can feel good about singing, 
Hush, little baby, don't say a word. This is real hip-hop, so fuck what you heard. And he heard yeah. that shit, and he said, yo, B. He was like, this is going to be great. So we did, the, we did the song. It came out like, it was so dope because it was like going back to a time capsule, bringing it back to the past, but bringing it back to the future. And, yeah. and Cool Rock ain't never missed a beat on there, so we recently filmed the video. You know, I do my thing like a family-oriented business, so I had my kids film the video, my twin boys and uh, my nephew, and uh, we went out there and everything just, you know, when the stars are lined up, it's lined up, and, you know, the timing is impeccable, man. So that's how all that thing launched, man, and people pretty much, man, just seem to be taken to that because just like T-Pain put up a post the other day, People are getting tired of this old monotonous-ass bullshit, and you can't knock the hustle, but your cadence is the same, beats sound the same, there's no yeah. real musical composition. We already done did that. But it's a blessing that people, third eye is waking up, and their listening skills are starting to come back into play because worldwide, man, people want to hear bars. People want to go back to the history of the pillars of hip-hop how it was started. People get tired of hearing or basically seeing going to the WWF match, but knowing those wrestling moves ain't real. Yeah. You know, so it's a a perfect time, brother, that we came with this uh, special record called Hush. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and, uh, to, to back up what you said, too, you know, uh, Run DMC and the Fat Boys, they were, uh, you know, two peas in a pod back then, man. You couldn't uh, hear one without the other. You know, matter yeah. of fact, that was the majority of our introduction to, to, to real hip-hop because they were the guys that that started getting plaques first, you know, that really yeah. started being uh, seen on TV. So, <clears throat> oh, yeah, man. Man, they influenced yeah, they so got, many. They- and that's the trip because I was able to link in with uh, Reverend Curtis Blow, man, who, you know, over the years we we develop a, a brotherhood with each other. And it, it's a trip, man, because those records that they were doing was some of those records, two of those records was produced by Curtis Blow. Wow. And the first rap record, it was it, Curtis Blow set it up so cold for everybody because the first rap, rap record to ever really go gold was These Are the Breaks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? By that was Blow. like 84, right? Or yeah, that was, uh, yeah, something like that. It was and, before um, the first Run DMC record. I know that. Oh, absolutely. I think it was like 80, yeah. 81, something like that. You know, Sugar Hill had that shit out. You know, um, but going back to like two intricate groups. Well, actually, I can name three intricate groups, groups and rest in peace, ecstasy. I would love to throw that in there. But primarily to reach the masses how they did was Run DMC, Beastie Boys, and the Fat Boys. Yeah. They were the strongest bullet, points, strongest bullet points to really broaden and, and and break down the division, you know, and, and once it hit white world, so to speak, then it just took off. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And they those guys those guys were uh, definitely instrumental before your biggies and your and your heavy D's and 
even how people are able to, you know, years later do personal movies and different other shit. Those guys did it big. Crush Groove was big. And then you got to you gotta realize who was the two freshest groups on Fresh Fest? That was Run DMC and Fat Boys. That's who everybody you wanted know, to see. So, yeah. yeah, so, oh, yeah. you know, it was a, it's an honor, man, to work with those cats. And, and, and Cool Rock Ski is looking good and sharp. He lost all that weight. He ain't fat no more. You know, I tease him all the time about it now. But he, he, it, what a blessing it is to really have the pillars of hip-hop and uh, educate and mentor, but at the same time still coming fresh with the beats and, they, and rhymes and they never missed a beat. You know what I'm saying? Never. Never. I mean that. I mean that's what I want to see. I want to see more um, dope collaborations like this. And you being the most featured artist ever, you're the man. You're the man that makes that happen. You know. Uh, is there anybody else you'd like to work with in the future, maybe, or, or anything else you got under wraps that you want to share with us, maybe? Well, I'm working on something. On something. And I just contribute that to the universe. Thank the universe for assembling everything properly. And I'm just moving forward. Whatever may come, you know, my yeah. objective is to eventually do a song with some of the cats from uh, Pink Floyd. And I would love to do yeah. stuff with Black Sabbath. You know, that's what type of mind state I'm on because the 70s, you know, the late, you know, some of the 60s and 70s and 80s, those were very important eras to lay down the foundation of music today. You know what I mean? Of course, before then, you had your James Brown, you had your, you know, your Little Richards and going on before then, but really when it comes to that late 60s, 70s, and 80s, it was unmatched, man. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I I, just think, you know, it's, it's what, a, what an honor it is to still be relevant but being able to go ahead and hand the baton town to the next generation, such as Jordan did Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how you keep it going. You know what I mean? And, and that's a, like when you came in the game, you always paid homage to those before you. You're still doing that to this day. And um, that's the way it should be, you know. Um, but, it, you know, collaborations like this is what's going to show these youngsters that, you know, this is the way. Let's give him this song real quick, and then let's come back and chop it up. Um, this right here is Hush, and please go go uh, check out the video. And where could they buy this single again? Give them uh, your website where they can buy it. Well, you know, all my singles come out on my personal website first for like two or three months. And then I let it out to your iTunes. So you got to go to www.budeesandericboy. Music.com, but if you go to my Instagram at K O K A N E underscore brand, the link is right there in my bio. Once again, it's pronounced www.buddyboydmusic.com. And while you're on it, man, you know, check out the rest of the cocaine collection. And we got some funky stuff for you, man. It's, it's a lot of good stuff that'll hit your soul. And right now, people need music that's going to uplift them right about now. You know what I mean? So make sure you go to the site. The single's only dollar twenty nine. Ain't asking to break everybody. Just spend that dollar twenty nine at www.buddyboymusic.com. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely won't be disappointed. We're going to uh, get into this song right now. <laughs> then I want to come back. I want to talk about the music that your daughter's doing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, we'll chop it up some more. This is Hush. Cocaine, cool rod ski right here on Murder Master Music Show. We'll be right back. Really?
feel that in a chill. Jesus. I always tell him, man, he's a real dope producer. You know, oh, uh, yeah, super talented. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of him, uh, what about the uh, Dirty OGs? Uh, you guys going to um, do anything with the Dirty OG group? Yeah, right now we plant seeds. You know, everybody's out there basically doing their own individual thing for 2021 because a lot of shit got pushed around. So we got we got to move accordingly to these times. Uh, but yeah. definitely in 2022, you'll be hearing a couple singles coming from the Dirty OGs, and you already know, man, that's a straight slapper dapper. That's West West Coast gangster boogie, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that'll like be coming got, in 2022. Mount, Mount uh, Westmore's. You know what I'm saying? I always thought that was one of them right there. You know what I'm saying? You guys oh, definitely, yeah. definitely belong in that category. Um, <clears throat> What's dope about the West Coast, and we're starting to see that now, like with cats like Cool Rock Ski coming back and and different things. You guys have uh, the longevity is just ridiculous, man. You guys have been, you know, doing it since the since the eighties, man. What gives you that longevity, uh, Cocaine? Ah, uh, it got to be in you, not on you. You got to be prepared to stay yeah. up late at night, lose a lot of sleep, backbiting, jive turkeys. Um, just basically, just it's a brutal industry to be in. You know what I mean? You know yeah. because you know streets and hip hop always went hand in hand, and some things went good and some things just didn't went 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 sour. You know, it went sour. So, you know, to have that sustaining power, anything you you you, you want to, you know, be good at or continue to do, you got to be able to have passion about what you do. You know, I come from a musical background, kind of like musical royalty. And, you know, before the money, before the notoriety, you know, I fell in love with soul, funk, music, and hip-hop. You know, whether I made a dime or not. You know, and it's just like when you grow up in that household, it's just like, you know, when you grow up a household full of boxers, you become a Mayweather. You know what I mean? So yeah. we were we were uh we were blessed, man, to really um to really just be, you know, just put the music down more so than what we gonna get up out of it. You know what I mean? It's just and the along DNA, the way, man. Yeah, along the way, you know, still sharp and still. And the architects of musicians, you know, you know, that's always a healthy push for you to sustain as well. And, um, you know, I just love music, man. Yeah. And it's, like you said, it's generational. You know, now your daughter's making music. She's been, uh, last time we talked, you said she was in the lab. Uh, what she? What is she up to these days? Well, we just didn't want to rush it, you know. And yeah. over the years, I've been baiting them in, you know, put, putting her on um, different projects of mine. Because I understand the science of the music industry. You know, it's about building up an artist, not putting them out, you know, and they're like McDonald's instead of a slow-cooked meal. So we took that slow-cooked meal approach, and now she's ready. She's about to come out with a full album called Young Columbiana, and it's going to be incredible, man, because we really did our homework, and she had a chance to grow. You know what I mean? It's all about growth, and that's something I explained to her. You know, as a coach, you know, sometimes the uh, student don't understand, you know, but 
if they have that, you know, tenacity and determination to continue to do what they love because she was blessed with it too, you know, she's going to arrive to where she needs to. And now she's 25 years old. Uh, years later, she say, thank you, Pops. You know, sometimes I was, you know, had crocodile tears because how you came in me, but you, you always explain how you did it. And that's a beautiful thing. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, people trying to call in right now. Sorry about that, brother. Um, oh, no, no, no problem. Oh, no, no, uh, that no that's fine. Uh, that, was, that was actually Ted Sugar Free. They're shooting um, some more things. we got a video coming out soon called Sugar, entitled Sugar Cane. But going back to my daughter, uh, she has a cut, a single coming out, and video coming out called Karma is a Bitch. It's kind of like the videos along the line of that old school Martin Lawrence movie called It's a Thin Line. And uh, I'm just so proud of her. You know, me and her mother and her, and her brothers and sisters are very proud of her. She grew. And she's going to be a force to reckon with, man. And that single was coming out very soon. Once again, that song is called Karma is a Bitch. And her our whole full album is called Young Colombiana. Young Colombiana. There you go. Hey, we got to have her on the show sometime. Uh, you know, uh, let her know, man. I got to interview her. Um, yeah. Review some of music. That's, I mean, yeah, you got to be proud of that, man. To see uh, her talents, you know, what I'm saying, um, blossom and, and and grow right in front of your eyes. It's got to make you proud, right? Uh, we are we're extremely proud because we're so much of a tight niche family. Um, you know, if people don't know, you know, I pride myself on on, on a real family. You know what I mean? You know, being with my girl, 37 years, married 31 of, of those years, wow. and we have eight eight wonderful children, four boys and four girls. So that's a major part of my sustaining is the simple fact that i got to make sure, you know, Papa hand down this baton correctly. So, you know, once you, once you hustle with a purpose, things make sense even more. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Congratulations on that, too. Uh, you guys are definitely uh, a good inspiration, you know what I'm saying, to people uh, out there, you know what I'm saying, that got kids and stuff. And um, <clears throat> Another thing I wanted to talk to you about, too, um, speaking of kids, Evie's kid, uh, Evie, she's got hey, a show oh, coming oh, oh, out. Hey, I don't mean to... Uh, to uh... Let me answer this call because I want to bring this call in, if you don't mind. Oh, no problem, brother. Hold on. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that, man. Before before we go on, I want to introduce my brother. I want to introduce one of the cats I grew up on and that we all love. This is Mr. Cool Rock Ski, brother, on the Murder Mass Show. What's going on? Man, Cool Rock Ski, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. Man, um, I want to give you my condolences uh, for the passing of Prince Marky D. Man, it's a huge loss to hip-hop. And um, If you can, can you share a uh, memory about him for us real quick? Oh, man, I got a thousand of them. I think the, the first one, I mean, the one um, of many is... Um, Mark was like mad. I mean, as far as comedians go, you could pick. I could pick my favorite comedian, and he's funny as an all. I mean, his stories are legendary. 
we would just sit up in the hotel rooms, especially when you go overseas. And, you know, overseas, it can get kind of boring, and especially if you're from, you know, where we're from. Um, and the culture is different over there. Anyway, he would just make up these characters, and he would prolong these characters through the whole overseas tour. Um, and he was just a funny, funny dude. I mean, even till the day he passed away, he was just a really funny dude. And um, very smart, very smart individual. Very much into comic. He got me into comic books at a young age. That's why I'm into comic books to this day, uh, like Marvel and DC and all that stuff. And what's your favorite kind really, of comic book? Yeah, my touch you off, but yeah, like you like horror, sci-fi, or oh no, I'm, I'm into Marvel. I'm into um, you know, Marvel or DC. My favorite character, of course, is the Hulk and Thor, oh, all okay. that kind of stuff. Um, he was a, he was a sci-fi horror flick fan growing up. He liked a lot of horror movies. Um, I was a basic horror movie fan, you know, whatever. It was on the surface. I wasn't really into all that, you know, devil worshiping kind of stuff. But um, as far as he goes, he's just, he's just a really all-around um, funny dude, funny cat, and just really smart individual. And um, so, yeah, he, he's going to be missed a lot. You know, not only by the hip hop culture, but by his fans and friends and family and everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, I got so many stories about Marcus. It's not even funny, but like I said, we just um, we just used to we were like the the, the dudes that just would, would destroy hotels too. Like we would just sit in our hotels, just destroy them. Um, of course, we had to pay for them at the end of the day, but you know, we would destroy hotels. Oh man, yeah, they come out the budget, come out our pay when we get off tour. You know, cool rock, you owe five thousand, mark you owe six. What for? <laughs> yeah, the hotel bill. That's what it's for. You know that. <laughs> See, y'all was like the hip hop rock stars back then. Uh. Oh man, yeah, yeah, we were. Buff wasn't into destroying hotels. Buff was more into changing the light bulbs. He would change the light bulbs from red to blue, that kind of stuff. And oh wow. He, yeah, he's a freaky kind of SOB, but that was his thing. Me and Mark's thing was just getting BB guns and dart guns and slingshots and just destroying lamps and mirrors and, you know, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Tipping over beds and you know, all that. kinds of stuff. <laughs> so disorderlies is like the way, the way you guys were in disorderlies <laughs> is pretty much what you was doing in real life. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it was it wasn't a, a different. We we some sick SOBs, you know. <laughs> we're just crazy, you know what I'm saying? We were crazy. So um our manager, you know, he was just like, you know, you guys I don't know what's wrong with you two, but you know, you guys are sick. <laughs> you know, that that was us. We just had a lot of fun. We paid out a lot of money too, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I can imagine. You know, uh, at that time you know, hip hop was just really emerging, man. What does it feel to be uh, uh, one of the first that really started making waves? Oh man, it was fun because um, it was fun, but it was a lot of hard work and a lot of competition. Um, it was friendly competition for us and Run DMC to just go at it. You know, Run DMC always—I don't know if they looked at us as a threat, but it was more like um, as we started becoming more. Um, friends and, and have his chemistry. I know this run will always say that you know we we'll, we'll battle we'll battle anybody. You know we don't care who we battle. 
Like, I, I'll battle anybody. He's like, why are you always saying that when we're around? Like, <laughs> he wants to battle or something. But it was, like I said, it was fully competition. And we just had so much fun, man. And, you know, watching it grow. I think when we came along, the money was coming into hip-hop as opposed to the first um, wave of hip-hop artists that the money wasn't really there and the marketing wasn't really there. So when we came along, you could market Run DMC, you could market Fat Boys, you could market LL Cool J and Beastie Boys and Houdini and these acts. And that's when the money started flowing in. Um, so our era came from the marketing standpoint. When Crustings came out and Disorderlies and, you know, and hip-hop started to take off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, uh, you know, you were right there, you know, when everything. Yeah. Uh, I remember we had DJ Ready Red on the show, uh, Rest in Peace. Uh, one of his biggest memories is when the Ghetto Boys went on tour with you guys in Salt and Pepper. I think it was 87 or 88. Do you remember you know much about funny? the Ghetto Boys back then? And what was your I first remember, impression of I remember of the Ghetto that? Boys. I remember the Ghetto Boys. And I remember... If I'm not mistaken, my brother almost got into a fight with Scarface, if I'm not mistaken, because he didn't want to get off stage or something like that. He was sitting on the stage, my brother told me, oh, you got to get off the stage, and they got into a little riff or something like that. But um, I didn't know too much about them. I, know, I, knew that they, I knew about the group, but I didn't know too much about their music. But um, it's, um, he also almost got into one of, one of the two live crew, too. So, <laughs> oh, you know when they had it with two live? Who, yeah, Mix what's the or guy Luke? Marquise, I think it was. Oh, Brother Marquise, Marquise yeah. Yeah, I think he was kind of doing with him as well. And it was for the same reason. They didn't want to get on stage. They were sitting on the stage. And, we, you know, back then, you didn't want nobody sitting on the stage when the app was on. Nowadays, you got like 10,000 people on the damn stage. Nobody cares. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Everybody walking so, around with towels and, yeah. 15 dudes on stage, yeah. but but back then, uh, man, it, it, like I said, so many classics. What about, uh, uh, what were your first impressions of NWA, Easy e when they stepped on the scene? I had the album. Um, I remember put, we were doing our last studio album together, the On and On album, and I came into the studio playing Fuck the Police, and I remember <laughs> what the action was. Yo, D, who the fuck is that? And I said, it's a group called N.W.A. And then Mark said, yo, I think that's that group that that dude from K-Day is on, Dr. Dre. Remember, Dr. Dre be on K-Day. Yeah. And he said, I think that's that group that, that dude, Dr. Dre, is on. So Mark made a copy of the, remember back then he made copies of the tape. Mark made a copy of the tape inside the studio. And he was blasting it, and he had just bought a, a, a Porsche, a Sabu Porsche, uh, 928. And he was blasting it in his Porsche. I remember following behind him, and the cops was looking over him like, what the fuck are you playing? Because nobody never heard no shit like that before. So the, and you can see the cops, like, their hands just is going, turn that shit down, like, turn it down. Because they were going, fuck the police. And they was like, what the hell is this? But yeah, it was an eye opener because of two then New York rappers weren't coaching. Um, Coogee Rap, yeah. hard as he was, he wasn't coaching. Big Daddy Kane, Rock Kim, none of these guys were coaching like that. They never used coach words. So when they came out, it was an eye opener like, yo, this shit is about to change. I mean, Run DMC was hard, but they wasn't 
coaching hard. They were just hardcore rappers. You used to call them hardcore rappers. But this was something totally different, and the production was crazy. You know, still out of Compton was like, that shit was, you know, it was hard, but it was loud. You know what I'm saying? If that makes any sense. It was loud. It was, you know, God, Compton, crazy motherfucker name. I was like, oh, shit, what the fuck? You know, it's like, you were shocked just to hear stuff like that. Yeah. They were saying stuff we say in the street, but they were putting it on record, which is unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah absolutely. They in New York, man. They made them walk in New York. People were blasting that shit. Oh, man. Sure. Around the globe. What's it like all these yeah. years later to be uh, doing a song with uh, uh, one of the protégés of NWA, Cocaine? That Hush single, man. That's dope. Oh, man. Um, when I first heard the hook, I was hooked to the hook, if that makes any sense. I was hooked in the hook. So um, when he when he gave me the track, and I heard it, and I heard the little um, the jailhouse rap going on in there. I'm like, oh, okay. I heard people flip jailhouse rap before, but they just sample it. But he, you know, he, you could tell they played it, you know, themselves. There was like no samples. And I was like, oh, okay. But when he when he hit me up with the DM, I was like, is this that? Is this really cocaine? He said, real cocaine. Some other brother saying he cocaine. So I looked at his page. I'm like, oh, that's really cocaine. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'll do a song with the brother. You know what I'm saying? This is legendary. So, um, oh, I was down Yeah, man. I mean, I was telling people, and it was like, you mean cocaine? Like, the real, I'm like, yeah, the real cocaine. I'm doing a song with him. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why is that so far fetched? I mean, you know, like I'm a new artist or something. And I was like, yo, that's dope. Yeah. And, um, I didn't play it for people until um, it was almost finished. I started playing little snippets of it. And I was like, yo, play that shit again? That's your is dope. You know, so um, people people love that song, man. Yeah, they, they do. It. Yeah, it you is. Know, it's pure right, hip-hop. Man. All the elements. Right. Exactly. You know, um, I mean, it, 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 to me, I think it's, it's a great representation of both the East and the West. And I think, uh, uh, man, you, you guys, uh, uh, I mean, would you guys want to do more in the future? Maybe an album, an EP? Oh, yeah, that's coming. Oh, the EP is coming. EP yeah, is definitely coming. That's coming. Cool and yeah. Coke. Oh, cool and Coke. Cool and yeah. Coke. Yeah, exactly. Cool and Coca Cola. So, yeah, we got, and then once we do that project, you know, it's really going to have those elements. You know, we even gonna dabble in some Michael McLaren, uh, right. some African Bombada, some some, some we gonna go there. You know what I'm right. saying? Just uh, uh overall, just just Already bringing the hip hop. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. You hear that song, and it just puts you in a place where you know, like a '85 to like a '88 kind of vibe, right. um, but updated kind of like you know what I mean and like I said, people love it, man. They hear it, and um, they just fall in love with it. They fall in love with the hook. They love the hook because it's easy to sing along to, you know. Yeah. 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 And the comments, oh, yeah. the comments, you know, because I like, you know, we, 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 we engage with our fans. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's a rarity because you look towards at least five or six K and A's. Right. But, 
it's like people been waiting for something like this to come along because in those comments, man, it's like a fresh breath of air. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that what a perfect time and the timing is hella impeccable that yeah. we're able to, you know, never miss a beat. Like some yeah. of these cats, you know, and I'm not dissing nobody like that and I ain't the one to do that. Right. But but some some of the cats when they older right. you know, they they kinda lose some of their ism. Right. Right. But when you hear Cool Rock Ski on here, brother, it's like, God dog, who is that Cool Rock Ski? <laughs> yeah. The shit that he talking is so, it hits so home, you know, like, it's like recently, I'm not recently, but prior to the brother Cool Rock coming on, we was talking about that post that, that T-Pain made, and he hit it right off the ball for him. Yeah. People yeah. are getting tired of just getting force-fed bullshit gossip. Right. Yeah. Right. So we, want, we, we know what it is. Right if it's GMO or if it's organic, we can tell the difference, you know. And um, right. And right. shout out to T Pain for doing that. But also, I just want to say um, he needs to watch out what he says because he's the one that got everybody doing that auto tune crap. They should be going to you for hooks, not not yeah. not no program on the computer. But yeah, I feel him though. You know. You know what's amazing about artists like T. Haynes when they go on this kind of rant? I won't call it a rant because he, he, is, he is putting it um, into a good perspective, and he is telling the truth. But I think once people are no longer popular, once they ousted from the culture of, the, of, of, of hip-hop or R&B, then they start going on rants about how the industry is bullshit. But when they're on top, everything is cool. You know, yeah. there's, there's, no, there's no, you know... No bickering, no complaining about nothing. It takes them True. to find out, like, you know, this shit doesn't last long. So, you know, get it while you can. You understand? So, um, but shout out to him because I, I did hear, hear the rant and I was like, damn, he, he's right. You know, these guys, if Little Dirt or Little Uzi Vert is doing this, why do what they're doing? Do something else. You know, but, um,. Yeah. But you got to understand, yeah. that's the way the music is. That's the way record companies work. So if something is hot, the company's going to tell you to do what they're doing. And they're going to put money in your pocket to fuel it. You know, and these guys, they don't know any better. They think hip-hop started from Lil Wayne. They don't know what the fuck hip-hop started back then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. True indeed, man. They, uh, you know, uh, well, that, that's why I like songs like this, Hush, because when people hear it, you know, and new people hear it, new fans they're going to go back and, and look at the history, you know, because what you right. guys did set in stone, it's there, you know. Um, <clears throat> looking back at your career, you know, you're going back uh, to the days of, you know, Curtis Blow. And, um, man, what, what are some of your fondest memories? This, this is for both of you guys, man. We'll start with you, Kurowski. What are some of your fondest memories looking back? Um, my fondest memory is walking into the studio and seeing Curtis Blow. We saw him after a rap contest that we won, but we never thought we'd be working with him. So what happened was we put out our first single after we won the contest because um, we won a record, a record deal that was the first place prize with a record deal. So we put out this song called Reality, and I don't think that shit got past our block. It was, so, it was horrible. So our manager, um, he wanted to regroup and get Curtis Blow to do the next single. So we kind of thought, like, you know, Curtis Blow is not going to work with us. Like, you know, we're the Disco 3. You know, we ain't got no hit songs. And 
So um, you get to Quadrasonic Studio, the famous Quadrasonic, when unfortunately Tupac got shot in, and we did our first two albums in that studio. So we got inside the studio and um, walked upstairs, and there was Curtis Blow sitting at the, at the board. I was like, yo, that's Curtis Blow. He had the nameplate, K-Blow. Um, he had the jelly pills. He had a white jacket. And I'm saying, like, oh, that's, that's really Curtis Blow. Oh, shit. So we, for like 20 minutes, we just stared at him. Like, oh, shit, this is really cool. You know what I'm so uh, he put the track up, Fat Boys, and he said, write about, he said, write something dealing with um, your weight or something like that. And at first we were like, who the fuck he calling fat? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's Michael Jackson? Fat Boys. <laughs> but, um, so we was writing about, we was writing, we was writing freestyle rap. We wasn't even writing about nothing that you hear on that song. We just freestyle rapping. He was like, no, nah, you got to stick to the subject. The song is called Fat Boys, you know, they're down by law. Fat Boys, they're giving you much, much more. So then we had to go back in and write some other stuff. And that's what you hear in the song. But um, that's my fondest memory. And my fondest memory of that album, the first album, was everybody coming into that studio. I'm talking about Melly Mel was coming there. Um, Russell Simmons was, was popping up damn near every day. Uh, Run DMC was coming through there. Um, it was a, a lot of artists just showing up. A lot of um, Sylvia Robinson from um, Sugar Hill Records. So we must have was tapping into something big on this album because everybody was coming through and checking this out. And, you know, once the album dropped, it was like a, a huge success. So that's my fondest memory of, of back when we put out our first album. Legendary. Legendary. Um, Cocaine, what about yourself, brother? Um, I, I'll tell you a funny story. My fondest memory was being in, in 1989 when I went on tour, my first tour, but having to be in London. And we played this spot called Brixton Academy. And Bobby Brown was performing in the next arena. That was when Suge was bodyguarding Bobby Brown at that time. <laughs> but, but we all went out there. And it was cool because it was a hell of an experience, man. Like, time we got out there, it was, and you can relate to this, Cool Rock. There was, right. there was, there was thousands of people at the airport, man. Like some Beatles or, hey, hey, we the monkey type shit. Wow. So I'm like, damn, I ain't shit. Ah, like falling out. So <laughs> we get to the sound check and everything is cool, right? So I was going to be the first act to come on, open it up for Above the Law. Above the Law was going to open it up for NWA. So everything was cool. The place started getting packed and this it was sold out. Like, wow, Brixton Academy, man. I love the way y'all doing in London. It was sold out. So. Everything was cool. We did the sound check earlier. So when it was my time to come out, the legendary cocaine, because people, some people were starting to, you know, hear about me through word of mouth out there. So I go out on stage, right, and I tell my DJ, man, playing that shit, the DJ play the shit. They did, they, but for some reason, my microphone wasn't working. <laughs> so I'm out there, right, and all these thousands of people out there, and I'm out there, and the microphone wouldn't work, so one minute passed. Then they cut off the music because they was having technical difficulties. Then three minutes in the past, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, Medusa. I just looked at Medusa <laughs> like, like, I was like, man, all you heard, because the crowd was getting tired, all you heard the first night we was on tour, it started from the back. 
Because I'm like, okay, this shit is working. And, you know, I was doing my reggae shit back then and right. lying real tight on reggae. You know, yeah. like some of them, some of them shit, some of them right up against the league, league, hip it is, hip it is, and I shoot, and the whole crowd went off. So, but that was a beautiful experience, man. Like, Easy e never, he always reminded me, he's like, hey, young cuz, remember, you got booed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my fondest experience, man. Because from that from that time, it was real embarrassing, man. Like yeah. all kind of major media there, and you know. But it but it but it made me rise to the occasion, though. But that's my fondest right. moment: being in London, getting booed the first day. Wow. He uh, yeah, he was a jokester, man. Uh, Yella DJ Yella told us that. Uh, he went to his office to pick up a check, and he didn't look at it, and he gets down to the bank, and the lady says, are you Mickey Mouse? <laughs> he, he signed it to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> he didn't realize it until the bank teller told him. So, I mean, yeah, you guys must have had a lot of fun around him, for sure. Oh, man, it was the best. Like That's why I relate to what um, what you saying, Cool Rocks. Like, we were young, having Yeah. We were yeah. young, having fun. Brothers in their 20s, late 20s. Yeah. It's like you couldn't tell us shit. The world was our oyster. We oh, were having fun. Yeah. yeah. Walking around your chest out, you know, invincible, oh, yeah. physically invincible, and just mentally, you know. you yeah, just get, Getting in the fights. And, oh, man. Right. Like, yeah. That shit was fun back then. Yeah. It sounds like you guys just, uh, uh, I mean, you really got to experience the the, the fullness of hip-hop. You know, like right now, kids are uh, coming up, you know, there's a pandemic, and just the way the world is, it's just a different time, you know. Um, so you guys were very fortunate to, to come up in that era, you know. Uh, and you guys paved the way for those that followed you. So uh, hats off to both of you guys for that, man, real talk. Well, um, yeah, I got the homie uh, Sin from France. I know he's got to get a couple questions in for you guys. He'd kill me if I didn't let him on. Uh, Sin, you there, brother? <laughs> Hi, Scott. Hi, legendary cocaine, uh, legendary who was key. Um, I got first one. Yeah, I got first one for Kuroski. Um Are you ready for Freddy? Was one of the first Hardcore track. <laughs> Even it was funny before Grab Higgins, and it was in 1984. So the first one was Jimmy Spicer, Aventure, or Super Run, but you were the first to go nationwide. Can you tell us about this one? 
But are you ready for Freddy? It was in 1988, I think it was. Um, yeah. Um, we got picked for the song. We thought we were going to be in the actual movie. So me and Mark was all amped up about being in the movie. We were like, yo, we're going to be in the Freddy movie. Then I think New Life Cinema came to the studio and asked us to do a song. But our manager... Um, flipped it around and said we're going to be in the movie. So we was, you know, we were all amped up. So we did the song. Oh, we didn't write those lyrics. Those lyrics were written by somebody from um, from the Freddy, um, from the from the the franchise, um, the Freddy Cooper franchise. We didn't write the lyrics. And um, so we did the song. And next thing you know, they're you know they're taking us for the song. Saying, oh, we like the song. We're gonna put it on the soundtrack and all this stuff. And we said, well, when, when do we start shooting? And the guy was like, start shooting what? I said, the movie. I'm like, you're not going to be in the movie. You're doing it for the soundtrack. What the fuck? So we were like, let's talk about that. So, but um, we were going to all these premieres for the um, Friday, I mean, not Friday 13th, for the, um, the Freddy Krueger premieres. And Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street um, premieres all around the country. And we were sitting in the back of the mirror like, what are we doing here? But, you know, it was, it was fun because Robert Englund was in the actual video. So it wasn't like they were shooting, like we was like scared of Robert Englund, like act like Robert Englund is there, act like Freddie is there, and you're running from him. He was in the actual video. We shot the video in a studio set on, in Burbank, California. And we shot it like in this kind of a um, boiler room, and it was hot and dusty in there. So we were coughing throughout the day, man. It was like, it was crazy, man. And he was dressed up in the whole Freddy Krueger garden. So we knew he was hot. So we were hot in there. But, you know, we had fun. Um, we kept in touch, too. Like, he came to the Palladium in New York, and he got on stage. But nobody knew who he was because he didn't have the Freddy Krueger stuff on. They just thought he was a white guy on stage. They're like, who's that guy on stage? So, um, we <laughs> So we had to introduce him as, you know, this is Freddy Krueger. And everybody was like, that's Freddy Krueger? Oh, shit, you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but we had fun, yeah. man. It was a legendary <laughs> song. I think uh, Will Smith did a um, Nightmare on Elm Street song as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about uh, your first group, Disco Tree? Um, tell you about how we formed together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we met. Uh, I met Mark Disco first. Um, I was like eight, and Marky D was seven, so I met him first. We didn't meet Buff until we were like thirteen years old. Um, Buff was thirteen when I met him, and so Buff starts doing the beatbox one day. So we're not believing that's really coming out of his mouth. So we like checking his pocket checking the inside of his mouth he has some kind of gadget because he's a kid, you know, like he has all this power coming out of his mouth and come to find out he was really beatboxing like that. And so we just started rapping. We were really rapping other people's rhymes like Treacherous 3, Flash and the Fury 5, um, Jimmy Spicer, and Buff would just do the beatbox with it. And then me and Mark started writing our own rhymes. And one thing led to another. My sister told us about a rap contest in Manhattan um, called the Ten Pan Apple Rap and Dance Contest. And the first place prize was um, a recording contract, but the second place prize was um, DJ equipment. 
So we wanted the DJ equipment, just like you see in Crossfield. We actually wanted the DJ equipment. We didn't want the record deal. And like we didn't, you know, like we don't want to make records. We just want DJ the DJ equipment to be the rock party. And we went to the semifinals and won the semifinals. Then we went to the finals, which was held at Radio City. And um, it was sold out, by the way. And we went to the finals, held at Radio City, and won the finals. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Like I said, our first song didn't get passed. It, it, it didn't go wood. I don't think it, I don't think it sold 2,500 copies. If it did, you know, the record company must have bought it. But um, it was horrible. So, we, like I said, we had to regroup. And we came up with the Fat Boys and the B-side was put up thick them. And um, the rest is history. Right. Right. Cocaine, I go on uh, your song Aftermath classic with uh, Abazolo and Daddy uh, Red on your classic album Funk About Rhyme. Can you tell us about this one? Uh, it's a combination with uh, Abazolo. Uh, well, my cousin is called 187. Um, and we both come yes, from a musical background. You know, my pops, Jerry Longett, and uh, Motown, my uncle, Willie Hutch, from mm. the 70s. So music has always been in our DNA. And, you know, Hutch used to challenge me to do certain things because I was always inspired by the soul and funk artists. You know what I mean? And then fell in love in hip-hop at its early stages, you know, in that 70 era. Mm. And it was just a, it was a combination of all that. So when we did our first record, Who Am I, uh, it was going to come out in 90, but we pushed it back to 91. That was when Easy e made the first big deal over there. He was, like, considered our West Coast Russell Simmons with mm. me, with a brother law, myself, and um, uh, and this group called Poor Broken Lonely. Now, the Who Am I record prior to doing that, uh, Code 187 was going to be head of production, and Dr. Dre was going to be, uh, doing some production. So what had happened is that, you know, we liked this Billy Jean beat, and um, uh, it was from Michael Jackson, so Whole 187 sampled that, and Dr. Dre put his mixtures on there, and we shot it to Michael Jackson because wow. now we were label mates with the distribution on Epic Records. But Michael Jackson, you know, a lot of people don't know, Michael Jackson was a gangster. Yeah. So Ma- Michael Jackson said... Okay, I heard of cocaine. I know who his pops is, but in order for me to clear this particular single, Dr. Dre, you got to give me six beats. You're not getting the publishing for it. Wow. So back then, motherfuckers was like, fuck Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we went on to cut that record, Epic Records, got scared in the last four months, so they turned it around and called me Who Am I? because they was afraid of the controversy of cocaine. And back right. then, the F- FCC laws really wasn't permitting a lot of that shit played on the radio. But right. that, was a good, that was a good thing for me, because it allowed Hutch to, to bring a lot of other things that I could do besides being a B-boy. You know, I, I often, you know, love singing like George Clinton, Rick James, Bootsy Collins, whatever. You know, and Dr. Dre also invited me on the Next for Life album, which I introduced a character called Sweet Talk, as mm. well as uh, being a writer for their single called Appetite of Destruction. I wrote Easy E's part for his 10 Gangster Commandments. So that was a cool ride. But back moving to 94, the, ch- the sound changed. You know, the sonic 
sound of it changed and the style changed drastically because then, you know, Dr. Dre had started Left Rufus Records, and we we wanted to, you know, we've been doing this style of music since 89 called G-Funk. We are mm. what you know, we are the inventors of this style of music called G-Funk, and of course, you know, later through the years, Dr. Dre and Warren G and Snoop Dogg furthered it and pioneered it, but we was on our G-Funk tip. So we would be like, man, that would be an awesome thing because that was one of our favorite records. Records, you know, listening to the Parliament, Funkadelic, Maggot Brain, and Sir Nose, and Mr. Wiggles. And we was like, oh, yeah. we don't want to call ourselves P-Funk, baby, so we call ourselves what we do is Gangsta Funk, which stands for G-Funk. Once we did that album, we also named the group. We was the the first aftermath before Dr. Dre adopted the name from us. Mm. When you go in 1994, you can say, who was Aftermath? That's the name. That was our other fictitious DBA. We are the Aftermath. Tune into the sound. And it's just ironic that Dre adopted that name years later. So that particular album, Quiet is Kept, was so influential to a lot of artists on the West Coast uh, and worldwide, man, because the fans considered that particular record, man, like this is the second coming of George Clinton. This guy sounds like George Clinton to a T. You know, and it's just just one of those records that years later, um, it would have did better if Easy, you know, unfortunately didn't die of complication of AIDS. You know, because everything froze then. You know, and but years later, that record's going anywhere from a hundred to two hundred dollars on eBay. It's considered a real West Coast classic, and you know, out of that particular album, we were able to put out "Above the Laws, Uncle Sam's Curse." You know, a very prolific album, and you know that '90 era was a, was a, was a good ride for me because it allowed me, you know, to establish. Uh, the feature game, you know what I mean, and do a bunch of features, you know, by having cats like Cole 187 and Dr. Dre not, and EZE not give up on me just because my name was cocaine because they was called niggas for life. We love controversy. We learned that shit from the old <laughs> rock and roll dude. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we did in 1994. We incorporated a lot of uh, the DMX. It was, you know, of course, then it was the analog sound, live bass. The move, we really tapped into the Parliament sound, and that's one you know one of the records because we also got a song on there called "No Pain No Gain" that I didn't know was going to be a pillar of mm. uh, of, uh, of hip hop. You know, now I mean a funk and soul, but that song was played at Eazy-E's funeral, so many funerals. So, yeah, it was one of those records that years later. You know, that's one of my biggest selling records still to this day. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, Funk Up and Run was unique because of the style. Also goes out uh, to Josh Hinton, Funk Addict, and also like we, we see on the Making Soda Free video was insane. And also you Nobody have... Nobody was doing anything like that at that time. <laughs> right, right. She was first. Yeah. Yeah, it was, then, it was something else, man. It was innovating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you have a unique... I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, a lot of times you didn't think about that. You know, it wasn't no secret, you know, like pop 
Pac used to run with us. And Pac, not mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of people don't know he got a lot of influence from us because I used to, I used to have songs like talking about life and death. If you hear some of my stuff from '91, even the Punk Upon the Rhyme, like sometimes I feel like my day is coming. Why don't you dream of mine? That type of stuff. And Pac used to come around us in NWA because we had. Uh, business partners through uh, uh, a cat by the name of Atrian, who was managing Digital Underground at that time. And back when we did, uh, uh, we all in the same game, which was the the like the spinoff of what the East Coast did, self destruction. You know, Pop was always around us, man. And you can go back and press 1992 or 91 and see us, me, him, and Hutch performing on stage. And, you know, Pac was the one long before anybody said, man, I'll, he's like, I, I got this rhyme, but I want to put your style of music and what I do. So when you listen to a cut call, call it what you want, he was actually one, the first one that you heard I'm from the, the G-Funk, but you can call it what you want. Hmm. Wow. You know, so we had a lot of influence. Like when I met, when we met Snoop Dogg, Above the Law and Cocaine was going to put their record out. You know what I'm saying? Actually, Above the Law, not me, but Above the Law was going to put their record out, Code 187. But I met I met uh, Brother Snoop and Nate Dog after he came home from the armed service because Warren G used to stay with us in Colton, California in 89 with Above the Law and myself. And we always, he knew what type of get down we have. And he always just say, man, I want to bring Snoop and them to the table. Always talking about them. So when Snoop auditioned for us, it's when Above the Laws, Living Like Hustlers came out in 1990. And then that's when he auditioned for us. And I, I, I looked at Hutch and I said, damn, man, this cat is a cold-ass freestyler talking about Snoopin'. <laughs> the way, yeah. the way, uh, the way uh, Nate Dogg was crooning back then, I'm like, he has like a gospel type of sound to his shit. I'm like, these cats could be great. But during that time, simultaneously, the shit was about to hit the fan after 91 came out, the the Niggas for Life album came out, and things and discrepancies was happening at Rufus Records to where everybody was looking at, like, what the fuck going on with this paperwork? You know what I'm saying? So above the law, and cocaine rekindled our business relationship, and we took easy side. But Dre was like, man, I want y'all to come. This is long before Snoop, long before, you know, uh, uh, Gas came from Oklahoma, long before Corrupt came from Philly, and started the dog pound. We were actually going to be the first ones to go leave Ruthless Records. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, was, it was some shit going on. But Dre left, did his thing. Warren G took took um, Warren G took a tape to I guess Dre's party. Let them hear that shit. The rest is history over there. But then Dr. Dre called Hutch himself, and he said, "Man, I know y'all been working with this cat named Snoop, and I know y'all gonna put him on. But can I do some songs with him?" And, do it like this, and Hutch gave the blessing. Hutch said, "Man, I'm working on the new cocaine shit because I was a ruthless artist." Right. And I said, "Go ahead." And then, you know, some months down the line, once Suge got into it, they got into their ear, and 
and all of a sudden we hear, you know, our style of music, G-Funk and different other things like that, and then them dissing us on records. And it was it was just funny back then because I know they was riding for, for who they was riding with, whether they was wrong or right, but there was a lot of poison put out there, and we didn't right. deserve that poison. That's why we went at them. You know, it was, it was people talk about beef. Yeah, I know they talk about the pocket biggie beef, and that was that was huge. But the first beef, the first beef was ruthless and death row. That was some oh, real, yeah. real, real gangster shit going down. Trust that. You guys were actually, I mean, you went from, from being homies to all of a sudden, you know, some dudes are over here, some dudes are over there. And, I, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the tension, you must have been able to cut it through with, with a knife. Man, how did you guys get through all that? Man, we stood our ground. A lot of people don't know, you know, and, and I'm not here to diss the NWA movie, but that's only 40% truth. Just, you know, Hollywood likes to pack the seats. They're yeah. 50% yeah. of the truth mis- mis- misinterpreted or missing. You know what I mean? And nobody fucking, there wasn't nobody fucking easy. He was a gangster from Compton, a legitimate, not no nigga that's a CB4. He was the D-boy. He was the D-boy. Niggas used to come to him and be like, let me get some weight, whoopie whoop. And if it, if he didn't have the balls or even the, the 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 willingness to put up some of this hustle money, no, it wouldn't be no Death Row, no 50 Shit, no Eminem, yeah. no, no Kendrick Lamar, no Doc, no Ice Cube movie. But Easy E, there's not enough emphasis, and I don't take nothing away from Dre, you know, and, and Cube. I've done records with them, but there's not enough emphasis on what Easy stood for and what he took a gamble on. Right. So it's the whole revelation is just it's, it's a trip, man. We can just like Two Rock Ski is touching on on certain bullet points, and I'm touching on certain bullet points, but it's all to set you up to to, to elaborate. Because Cool Rock got a, and the Fat Boys got a nice documentary coming. I got a book coming out. But it's something oh, wow. for we met at the right time with this Hush record to be able to open up, you know, their mind 30-plus years later to really right. fill in the gaps, man. And people want to hear the truth. They don't want to just go to WWF all the time and know the wrestling matches and moves of fate. They want to go to the backyard, <laughs> knuckle up, Type of stories, right? Yeah, and it's 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 a, it's a blessing, man. I choose my words carefully. It's a blessing to be able to be a disciple as well as a participant of those times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey. You guys, uh, both of you guys, uh, were around for legendary, uh, you know, things that happened in the in the rap game. Like you were talking about Crush Groove earlier. Um, Man, what was it like to be a part of that early hip hop movie? I mean, that that was something that really uh, set things up for the movies like Straight Outta Compton in the Future, or uh, you know, other movies. Um, we got approached to do that movie um, through a writer um, from Warner Brothers. That they sent him, they sent him out on tour with us. We were in the first festival, the second first festival. And um, he can get on our tour bus, and he's just kind of evaluating us and writing, you know, stuff down that we did, like little funny stuff we were doing. And we were only supposed to be in the movie for like maybe two to five minutes. 
But um, the director, Michael Schultz, he was he directed also classic movies like um, Car Wash, um, Which Way Is Up, Coolie High. He kind of took a liking to us, and he wrote us more into the script every day. So um, when the movie came out, man, it, it was it was crazy, man. It was so many fights at movie theaters. And it was just people being excited to see their, their rap heroes at that time on a big screen. So, I mean, every movie theater in New York was pretty much shut down. If it wasn't shut down, there was just cops everywhere. I mean, helicopters at movie theaters. Because the movie was just, it got, it got so out of hand. Like, you know, lines and lines of people. Um, the movie theater itself, the, the lobby was packed. You couldn't even get in there. And um, it was just something to see. You know, you had Fat Boys in the movie. You had Run DMC. You had Curtis Blow. You had um, LL Cool J. You had BC Boys. And so everybody just wanted to be part of, of the history of this movie when it came out. And, to, I mean, to this day, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a cult classic. So, um, yeah, yeah Sheila yeah, E, too. Yeah Sheila, yeah, Sheila E. was in the movie. Curtis, did I say Curtis Blow? Curtis Blow. New Edition was in the movie. So um, I think the movie cost like maybe two point five, two point eight million dollars to make, and it made like um, over fifteen million dollars. I think the first weekend, something like that. It was a it was a big movie, but um, it just propelled hip hop to a whole nother stature. It just took Fat Boys to a whole nother level, took LL Cool J to a whole nother level, Run DMC, so on and so forth. And um, once we went back out on tour after the movie. The ticket sales went up, um, <laughs> so it was a different atmosphere. Now the Fat Boys were movie stars, Run DMC were movie stars. You know, people was asking by LL Cool J. So um, it, it did wonders for us, and it did wonders for hip hop. It just um, it, it broke down the doors of hip hop. Everybody wanted to be a rap star after that. So um, you started seeing groups emerge like you know De La Soul come at, come after that, and Eric B and Rakim and you know, KRS-One and all these guys were coming in after that um, because of the success of um, Crush Group. Um, so, you know, you had Beat Street, which is 83, I think. And Beat Street dealt with more of the hip-hop elements and breakdancing and graffiti and that kind of stuff. But Crush Group dealt with um, the rise of Def Jam, you know. So it was a different, it was a different element with um, Crush Group. Yeah. Definitely uh, uh, legendary. Yeah, well, you, you guys, uh, uh, like I said, man, the the fun times you guys must have had, and then you cocaine with Easy E, um, you know what I'm saying, must have been uh, just something that, you know what I'm saying, very fortunate to be a part of. And you guys are still making uh, dope hip-hop memories to this day. Before we get out of here, I want to thank you both for... Uh, Taking the time to do this, and I want to give you guys each the floor. Um, and uh, we'll start with you, uh, Cool Rashi. Um, what do you want me to say? Like, just what's up? <laughs> what am I oh man, just shout um, out to if you got anything uh, you know uh, you're promoting um, or. Well, being cocaine, we're doing the Disco Three um, documentary, Disco Three slash Fat Boys documentary. We were Disco Three before Fat Boys. And we're going to do that document, putting that together. And we're also, uh, me, DMC, and Russell Peters, we're trying to put together the Fresh Festival documentary. 
um, the first ever hip-hop tour, all hip-hop tours. So we're trying to put that together as well. You know, get the Hush video out, man. Um, the, the Hush, the, the song is coming out, what, next month, in a couple of days? Actually, Some yeah, it, it, it's out right now, but we're going to put it out on all the social platforms uh, probably like a month and a half. But you can actually get it on the personal site at www.buddyboymusic.com. Okay. You know, it's, 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 yeah, we, we, we want to get first dabs first before iTunes get their hands on it. Right. Once, oh, yeah, once it hits the social network, yeah, once it hits the social network, it's going to take it to the next, next stage in atmosphere. So right. we, we have a plan for this. Uh, our, our marketing target is real heavy overseas right now because, mm. because in my humble opinion, from an aspect of uh, understanding what, we, what rec- groundbreaking record we just did, you know, we're not going to sleep, of course, in anything at home, but we just don't want to get in the mix of, you know, what is so popular right now. I'm not even trashing it. You know what I mean? Right. So the world is our oyster. This hip-hop record that we just created is for the world. It's not just for Brooklyn or Pomona or right. California or Cleveland, wherever. You know, right. It's for the world. So we grinded it out, man. We We are independent. And it's going back to the crust groove, and now it's in the hands of the pillars that is not just putting records out just to, you know, toot our own horns. Right. This type of record, you know, is is needed for people who really love hip-hop worldwide. You see, I'll tell you something. And sometimes overseas, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel because Jimi Hendrix had to do the same thing. Marvin had to do the same thing with what's going on record. Right. So it's, it's one of those times. To when, when you go to Amsterdam, Germany, Australia, they love the fact of uh, what hip hop means to them. I think over here in the U.S. market, it's starting to subside. I call it the Jacquees attitude, and not to diss the young R&B cat, but when Jacquees said that to Keith Sweat, it was like, "Are you retarded or something?" Right. So we don't want to be caught in that mix, but wherever we can put paint where it ain't to really get the message out there and educate, because when you hear these lyrics, the lyrics is right on point. It's like a, it's not a substitute teacher coming in. It's a real perfect professor of hip-hop coming in to let y'all know, man, like, you know, it's an expression, man. Like, hip-hop is important. It, you know, when people at one time, try to compare eating a cockroach and going viral and saying <laughs> mumble shit, that wasn't hip-hop. Right. So it gives us a chance to get our identity back and reintroduce it to the world. Exactly. And with cats like y'all giving us this plat- healthy platform and healthy time, me and Cool Rock really appreciate that because the love go two ways. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, man, so we, we appreciate it, you guys. out there. You know? Get it, get it out there, cause it, it's a simple old school recipe, a crush groove recipe. Word of mouth right. is powerful. Well, of course, yeah. we're doing what we're doing, taking the ads out and doing, making sure the marketing is cool and making sure the response and everything on the heat map is cool. Doing our homework, but nothing right. more is important than word of mouth and making people feel good about listening to their record. And what a blessing it is to see cats like Cool Rock and Cocaine to be able to transcend the time and break down the fact that you too old to be rapping like, look, look, this is not basketball. 
You know what right. I'm saying? Your knees might go out at 35 if 40. But this is real hip-hop. So this is going on forever, whether you're 50, 60, 70. And look at George Clinton. Exactly. He, he just turned 80. Wow. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's still for the record. Yeah. Right. This record is for the rest world, in, man. Rest in peace, um, not to cut you off, rest in peace to Dusty Hill, ZZ Top, uh, probably one of the best bass guitars of all time. He just yeah. passed away the other day. Wow. You know? yeah. wow. And, and Biz Marquis, man, dear, uh, our, our dear beloved brother Biz Marquis, yeah. man. Yeah, wow. it's Marquis. So, we, so. We're not we're taking this time, brother, to not, you know, because a lot of people like to give roses when you're gone. Yeah. You yeah. know, but we're saying it's cool to give us roses, but just hold on giving us roses because we ain't finished yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you guys you got a whole lot started. more living and a whole lot more music to do. Yeah, hey, you're already the most featured artist, Cocaine. Uh, you still got about five. To twenty thousand more features to do, Cool Rockski. I look forward to everything you've done, brother. It was very nice talking to you tonight. Um, thank well, you guys for both for taking out the time to do it, man. We're gonna get out of here with this hush song one more time because it's so dope. They need to hear it twice. We're out of here. Yeah.
cocaine in my 